If you thought homelessness was a crisis in need of attention a few months ago, it has only worsened since COVID-19. Services and amenities that the homeless depend on, like public washrooms, coffee shops, and libraries, have been cut or shuttered completely. And with constant calls for hand-washing and social distancing, shelters are feeling increasingly unsafe for many. In this special podcast episode, we examine the increased challenges on our streets for this vulnerable population and what one organization is doing to meet them head on. Welcome to In the Business of Change, where we speak with social entrepreneurs impacting their communities and the world. I'm your host, Elisa Birnbaum, publisher and editor-in-chief of Sea Change Magazine. On today's podcast, we speak with Carrie Kozarak of Vi'ahafta, a Toronto-based organization dedicated to transforming the lives of people experiencing poverty and homelessness. In our conversation, Carrie explains how the pandemic has intensified the homelessness crisis in Toronto, much like it has in other cities around the world. She shares her opinion on the city's efforts to help and how her organization is continuing to provide food, supplies and support to those who need it most. Bea Hafta is a Jewish social services agency uh, providing service to people of all faiths and backgrounds who have been affected by uh, homelessness, uh, poverty, and marginalization. Uh, we offer highly effective programs for people who are at risk of homelessness to move them from instability towards self-sufficiency. Um, our programs are highly individualized and they actually fill a service gap that exists in the industry to help people develop the confidence and the skills necessary uh, to make take the next steps in their lives, uh, focused specifically around employment readiness. Those are the bulk of our programs. Um, our wow. one program that is a bit of an outlier in, in the organization and one that we've been operating for the longest uh, for 24 years is our uh, outreach van program, uh, which is the most uh, taxed during this time of a pandemic. Um, which brings us to directly to the specific questions I was going to ask you. Um, just to take a step back, though, it, it might be hard to give an exact number of the the number of uh, of homeless people either in shelters or on our streets. But in terms anecdotally of what you come across. Sure. So we, we sort of have the um, time before COVID and the current situation. And it's, uh, you know, the, the reality is, is that there is a problem of homelessness in the city of Toronto that existed long before COVID. Uh, and as you know, a lot of people have been saying, COVID is not the great equalizer and it does impact our more vulnerable people uh, in a more um, unfair way. So where we have gaps in our society that exist in our society, as we're seeing in long-term care homes and other such places, it very much impacts the, the population of people who are experiencing homelessness right now in the city. Um, and it's a huge problem. So the commonly accepted numbers, uh, so every couple of years, uh, a point in time study is conducted in the city. The last one, there should have been one this year, uh, now-ish, um, that obviously isn't happening. So we, we continue to go by our 2018 numbers, recognizing that those numbers, it is very difficult to track and count a population like this. Um, the methods that are used are very impressive and far-reaching, 
but we recognize that it doesn't actually capture real numbers. So the numbers we go by from the 2018 point in time study count is that there are about 8,700 people experiencing homelessness in Toronto on any given night. And of those, um, you know, a lot of people don't really understand what, what the term homelessness actually entails. So most people, when you say homeless, you picture somebody who is sleeping outdoors, uh, you know, on a city street on a grate or something like that. Um, so the 8,700 uh, count refers to uh, people who are uh, unhoused, and that includes people who are in the shelter system and uh, there is a subset of those folks, about 533 as of the 2018 count, who are what are termed rough sleepers. And these are people who are sleeping outdoors. Um, so they're entirely unhoused. Um, so during this time, what we've been seeing is a, a marked increase in the number of people who are sleeping rough. And, you know, by... The early April, we were estimating there were about double, and now it's estimated um, not just by us, but by other agencies, including the city's outreach uh, agency, that it's tripled. So if we assume that that 533 number is accurate, then we're talking about 1,500 people currently sleeping rough in the city. And we can see that <clears throat> in a tremendous increase in the number of folks in um encampments all around the city, in city parks, under bridges, under the Gardner Expressway, at Fort York, all over the city. Um, and it's uh, it's surprising in a city of affluence, in a city of means like Toronto is, to see something like this going on. And so when we talk about the specific unique challenges, what I read about is is that people are not, uh, they don't feel safe in the shelters right now because there is some outbreaks in certain shelters. Uh, is that the primary thing that is that is creating bigger challenges? So I think it's, it's a couple of different challenges. Um, for folks who traditionally sleep rough, meaning that they don't uh, use the shelter system, they have their reasons for not using it, they also have a way that they survive. This is an incredibly resilient population of people, as you can imagine, very often when we talk about the homeless population, people are like, oh, the, it's sad and it's it's so depressing and, and this is, a, it, they are objects of pity. And for those of us who um, have the privilege of working with these folks, uh, what we see in this community is a tremendous resilience, um, a resourcefulness unlike most of us uh, would, would have. And there is a way that they use uh, both uh, formal amenities and also informal amenities to survive outdoors. We live in Toronto. We do not have nice weather. This is not conducive to sleeping outdoors and living outdoors, especially over these past six weeks uh, where we've had unusually cold weather, uh, brutally cold, to be honest. Um, and the amenities that folks rely on are things like drop-in centers, um, safe injection sites. Uh, community centers, public libraries. These are all amenities that people rely on to warm up, to access uh, internet, entertainment, uh, to socialize, uh, as well as things like the safety of a safe injection site where substances can be used under supervision um, and it uh, prevents harm. So those Formal kinds of amenities are lacking, but now in addition to that, when the city closed down uh, businesses, shopping malls, um, 
all of the informal amenities that folks rely on to warm up, to use a bathroom, which has become a huge challenge for this population, just finding a bathroom uh, has become an incredibly difficult thing for them. Um, we're seeing people who are telling us that when we're bringing out, you know, one of the things that our outreach van does is bring, uh, provide food, uh, hot meals, uh, as well as essential supplies like clothing and hygiene kits and harm reduction kits. We're serving meals at 10 o'clock at night and hearing that this is the first time people have eaten yet that day. Uh, so when coffee shops, um, food courts in office towers, uh, all of those kinds of places uh, were closed down. People lost a vital source of warmth, food, and access to basic things like a bathroom and the ability to wash their hands. That's, that's truly difficult. And, and what about the shelter systems themselves? What would you say about how well they're doing to help those who, who do choose to um, to find shelter and how the city's doing in terms of its capacity to meet those needs? So look, I think that the, the, the challenge that I think it's hard for a lot of people to understand is that the problem of homelessness in this city was a problem long before COVID showed up. What a pandemic does, what this pandemic, this is the only one I've ever experienced, has done is really highlight cracks in the foundation. And that um, I, I'm not one to be critical of the city. I, I understand the, the magnitude and the nuance of the problem of homelessness. And there isn't a quick fix. There isn't a singular solution. It's complex. Um, I think that the city has made efforts to create social distancing in the shelters. I think that um, their focus on the shelter system and the pace at which they were able to go at the beginning of this wasn't fast enough. And in that time, I think I think it was fair for the city to focus on on the shelter system. And I think that what they may not have anticipated was that these are free adult people living in a free society and they have the right to choose. I'm out of here. So while the city was focused on creating social distancing and searching for additional spaces, a lot of people said, I'm, I'm better off taking my chances outdoors and braving the elements on my own. Um, what they found when they did that, though, was a lack of access to all sorts of supports that would make that safer, um, more reasonable for them and more comfortable for them. So that that's sort of the scope of the challenge. Um, the, what we wind up with when we have so many people who are sleeping rough and living outdoors is that all of the focus that the city has placed on um, isolation sites for folks who have tested uh, positive or who are awaiting results, all of the, the different um, amenities and, and processes that the city focused on building were all centered around the population of folks that are in the shelters. So all of the people who were outside of the shelters are missing out on all of those pieces. Gotcha. So in the last couple of weeks, we have seen the city move very quickly um, to try to address the folks, this particular population that we're serving with our outreach van. Um, the city has created 130 new uh, apartments, temporary apartments, um, and they're actually folks are actually moving into those today uh, in like first 71 units. And then in a couple of weeks, another 50 units. 
Um, I think it's an incredible start. I think the city was responsive um, and have engaged organizations like ours to hear what are the specific needs because it's a very, um, the, the unique needs of folks from this population are, are unlike other populations. And it's really important for them to be consulting with organizations like ours who are intimately aware of these nuances um, like people with pets and couples and things like that to really be able to meet the needs. Um, so, look, I, I get the scale and the magnitude, and I don't really believe that we're going to solve problems by criticizing and playing armchair uh, quarterbacks, and that's one of my pet peeves. Uh, I think it's unfair. I know that for myself in managing our organization, it has been a monumental task make the right decisions at the right time. So I'm, I'm not going to be one to criticize. Um, will 130 units solve the problem? No, uh, but it is a move in the right direction. And my hope, and I'm the eternal optimist, but my hope is that in any really negative situation, I, I'm always hopeful that something very positive comes out of it. And my hope is that COVID has shone a light uh, on the population of, of homeless individuals, and it has really uh, brought a spotlight on from the public uh, to this problem, this ongoing, unsolved, unresolved problem of homelessness in the city of Toronto. And my hope is, is that this um, rapid movement out of necessity will open everybody's eyes to some creative solutions to actually long-term really, really look at solving problem of homelessness in the city and that's my hope and I am an eternal optimist and I believe that you know necessity is the mother of invention and you know I know that for our organization we've had to pivot and come up with very creative solutions that not six months earlier we had said could we convert some of our in-person programs to online and the answer was a resounding no we couldn't well, we have, and they've worked beautifully, and it opens up a lot of questions about what else is possible for us in a small scale. And I believe that that's possible in the large scale of the city and the bigger problem of homelessness in the city. So, uh, you know, obviously what, what uh, inspired that, that original question was the fact that some people were upset that the city didn't move quick enough, and they've actually started a... Uh, a few organizations started a lawsuit. Whether that's going to move forward, we're not sure. But I, I appreciate your opinions on the matter. Um, just to, you know, to address the last question, I wanted to ask in terms of you. You touched upon this. Um, some of the ways that you've had to pivot in terms of the, how you approach or how you, you the activity and the work that you are doing on the ground right now. Can you talk to that a little bit? Sure. Um, so we've had to be, you know, we've been planning uh, for our response to the pandemic since February, uh, late February, uh, recognizing that we're serving a highly, highly vulnerable population of folks who have experienced homelessness or who are experiencing homelessness tend to have multiple uh, health conditions. Uh, so uh our model, uh, half of the organization is devoted to mobilizing members of the community through meaningful hands-on volunteer work. So each of our programs has been intentionally designed to include volunteer roles for members of the community. Um, our belief is that when we bring uh, members of the broader community into direct contact with uh, the population of people who are at risk of homelessness, we build uh, empathy between the groups and build um, the compassion and the interest 
uh, for the cause of uh, eradicating homelessness, but also kindness, empathy, caring about other human beings. And we believe that when you bring human being in contact with human being, what tends to happen is we see more of what is the same than what is different about us. And when we do that, we dispel a lot of stereotypes, a lot of inaccurate myths about uh, who are folks who have experienced homelessness. And what we typically find is that they're people just like you and me. And they're people who have had circumstances often beyond their control, well beyond their control. And that homelessness is something that can happen to anybody. And when we build that empathy and we build that awareness, it's um, it, it mobilizes people and it helps them say this, this matters and people matter. And uh, the other thing that we're trying to achieve is to help people feel empowered that they can make a difference. So while you, an ordinary person, or me, an ordinary person, I can't solve the problem of homelessness by myself. And I can do something to help a person who has experienced homelessness. And when I do that, it makes me feel empowered instead of apathetic. It makes me say, okay, there is something that I can do. And I I can't solve the world's problems, but I can go out on the van and hand out a hot meal and a hot coffee and talk to someone and hear what their day was like and share with them what my day was like. I can do that. Mm And that's a really huge focus of the organization. So all of that said, uh, very early on, because at the beginning of the pandemic, um, transmission was happening primarily from folks who had traveled. Um, Our volunteer base is far more likely to have traveled than the participants we're working with. So we had to make a difficult decision to cease all volunteer roles in the organization uh, in early March. And that was you know, it's a it's a difficult thing. It's half of our mission is mobilizing members of the community, but uh, in this case, we needed to protect our participants from a you know a mobile a group of people. So that was one of the first things we changed. Um, our outreach van has traditionally, um, in recent years, focused on serving uh, folks who are accessing. Uh, places like safe injection sites or who are in shelters. And so we used to go to places where we would serve, you know, 10 to 20 people at one time. And the van is serving hot meals, coffee, uh, providing essential supplies like clothing, sleeping bags, uh, and harm reduction supplies. Um, we needed to pivot that uh, out of an interest of social distancing safety for our participants and for our staff. So we shifted our focus in March to going uh, to individual rough sleepers. So this is more labor intensive and more time consuming, uh, but we felt that those were the folks who were least likely to be able to access any kind of services. And, um, you know, in in the middle of March, we were seeing about 60 people a night, um, and now we're seeing on some nights as close to 140 people in a night. Wow. Yeah. So there, there's been a big increase. And the way the van operates has needed to change where we used to, uh, you know, park the van outside of places uh, like encampments. Uh, the encampments have grown, for one, and out of an interest in not encouraging or causing people to gather in close quarters, our outreach workers are taking bags and bags of food and supplies and walking into the encampments in order to distribute. And they're going uh, from a tent to a tent 
to hand out needed supplies, asking what folks need, running back to the van to get the things that they've asked for, running back under the... It's tough. It's, it's tough work. Really tough work. It's tough work on a good day, so I can only imagine how much tougher it's gotten now. I was going to ask you just generally your hope for, for what this will bring, but you, you've sort of touched upon that already. I mean, hopefully this, if there's anything positive, quote-unquote, that comes out of it, is that maybe it shines a light on an issue that had has been, you know, festering and, and, and uh, really uh, needs to be looked at more seriously in the future, perhaps this will be one way of getting people in the same way that they're looking more seriously at long-term care homes and some of the issues yeah. there, right? Um, anything else you'd like to say about that? So, you know, for us, our, our organization, uh, we don't rely on government funding. We receive some government funding for some of our programs, but in particular, our outreach van um, doesn't, and we rely on the individual donors uh, to support the operation of a program like that. Uh, we are incredibly blessed to have a community of people who care so much about this issue. We have uh, folks who are calling us and emailing us asking how can they help, how can they do something to help us during this time. The reality is in, is in order to operate our outreach van program, uh, where we used to have a program uh, where uh, people who had experienced homelessness were provided with paid uh, positions to manage a kitchen staff with volunteers who then made the food that went out on our van each night, we had to cancel that program. And so the only way we could provide for the meals out on the van was to uh, pay for prepared food. So it's a wild increase uh, budgetarily um, where we were serving 100 meals a night. We are now serving 300 meals a night. So that coupled with the additional cost of purchasing prepared food has like blown our costs out of the water. And we're asking for financial support from people. We're asking for donations. Um, if if people are not able to make a financial donation, we've actually launched a matching campaign where folks can fundraise on our behalf through Facebook or through a peer-to-peer -peer platform. Um, and this information is all available on our website. Um, and for, you know, we recognize that not everybody is in a position today to make a financial contribution. And that's why we felt that when people are saying to me, I, I want to be able to help, how can I help? One of the ways that people can help is by running a fundraiser and asking friends and family, you don't need to make a $100,000 donation. If enough people make a, a $15 donation, that adds up and it makes a difference for the individual people that we're serving and every additional meal and every additional sleep bag that we're able to hand out during this incredibly difficult time is a, a means of sustaining a person another day. And, and that matters. And that's really the message of our organization is, you know, we're talking about individual people, human beings with stories, with loved ones, with all of the things that we as individuals carry with us. And that is true for folks experiencing homelessness and that is what we're asking people to do. And I think that when people can do something, I think it, it makes them feel empowered and feel better about, you know, this whole situation. We're not helpless. We all can contribute and make a difference. So that is what we are asking for. <laughs> um, and, and that's what we hope that the community will continue to respond with. It's www.vahafta.org.
org or if I have to org O-R-G. it's org we have a specific uh we created an easier because via hafta is hard to remember and hard to spell so it's covid19 helphomeless.ca perfect thank you so much for taking the time to speak with me i really really thank appreciate you it. thank you i really appreciate you taking the time to look deeper into this issue and i and i love that you're sharing this with the you know with the rest of the world it really matters Thank you for listening to In the Business of Change. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast to hear other conversations with inspired social entrepreneurs and change makers working on challenges in their communities and across the globe. I'm your host, Elisa Campbell.